Good evening, all. Going to talk. We get a lot of uh, feedback and questions regarding. I don't know if this this picture looks okay, but I have nothing else to work with. Looks like there's a hue in the background. I'm trying to move around a little bit, but uh, we get a lot of questions, and kind of the group guides me on what I'm going to talk about next. And the question that I'm getting a lot from people is um, the different differentiating anonymous tipsters, citizen informants, unnamed citizen informants, different types of informants you can get, and what the veracity or the reliability of that informant is what you can do. And guys, there's a lot on this. I can't do it all in one shot. I'll bore you to death. So I'm going to start with unnamed citizen informants. Let me explain what that is. It is somebody, it's different than an anonymous tipster, uh, somebody who calls in and doesn't leave a name and it's anonymous tip. You have to corroborate and have veracity. Uh, This is literally somebody who approaches a police officer, tells them about something. And through the totality of the circumstances, can be enough to establish probable cause for an arrest. I'm going to read two cases to you. Uh, the first I'm going to talk about is State versus Sibylla, Sibylia, and it's out of 2000, and I'll add this into the into the video here. You can read the case and go over it the way you want to, uh, and hopefully this will help everybody understand what they can and can't do with the information that's supplied from anonymous tipsters, in-person people, uh, and really should help a lot of guys. Really is important to know. So here's what Sibylia. So basically, Sibylia is a Union Township police officer. Uh, this is 2000, is working an off-duty job at a methadone clinic. He's approached by two people that tell him there's a guy over there. They tell him what he looks like, that he is trying to buy methadone, which is illegal. You can't obtain a CDS or even a prescription CDS without a authorization from a, a physician uh, or a medical practitioner. And one of the girls, he's worked there before. He knows her. She goes and gets her methadone. She comes out. She points to the officer and says, hey, that guy right there, that's the guy that is trying to buy methadone from everybody. So the officer walks over, starts talking to the guy. The guy begins to get nervous, ignores the officer speaking to him, shaking visibly. Um, What happens is he does a pat frisk. This is where I'm just going to jump in and be a little critical. Remember, in order to pat frisk or terry frisk somebody for weapons, what's the standard that you will need is reasonable suspicion to believe that they are armed and dangerous. A lot of guys write that in the reports in girls and they're putting like, well, they stepped out of the car. They smelled like weed. So I pat frisk them for weapons. I've tried to iterate this a hundred times. Guys, when, since when did, when somebody smoke weed, make them smell, make them armed and dangerous. So write it correctly. You can search people for the odor of marijuana in New Jersey for sure. So write it that way. The guy smelled like weed. So I searched him accordingly. What happens here is, he finds a pill bottle uh, with unprescribed methadone, and the guy's placed under arrest. This is what the court said. Um, they said, in this case, the appellate divi- So basically, understand that the, uh, the unnamed citizen informants provided probable cause to make the arrest. That's what provided him to be able to search. They didn't address the frisk for weapons uh, thoroughly, but you can see here that it was it was admissible in court because it was search incident to arrest. It established probable cause for his arrest based on unnamed citizen informant uh, testimony and totality of the circumstances and the inherent reliability that the courts have given to unnamed citizen informants. So it says, in this case, the appellate division addressed the distinction between an anonymous informer and a citizen informant, I'm sorry, a citizen witness whose name has not been provided. Preliminary, the court pointed out that 
we are not here dealing with an information from an anonymous informer. Rather, we are dealing with a citizen informer, indeed a citizen witness who identified defendant and his illegal activity to the police. And here's what they're saying. The people who came up and told the cop about this, they didn't have any personal gain to give this cop the information. They had general concern. Different than like a confidential informant who may be working off their charges where they're trying to maybe set somebody up. There's there's a gain in order to provide the police with some kind of information to get a bigger, catch a bigger fish. Uh, her accusations were supported in general by two other clinic patients, neither of whom had anything improper to gain from telling Fuentes what was going on. It was logical for the officer to assume that at least one woman, perhaps all three, had actually witnessed a legal attempt to purchase methadone. So you had three people telling him who have nothing to gain that, hey, man, we're here trying to get clean. The guy right over there is trying to buy methadone from people. And said, although the issue is fact sensitive, it's clear that the actual name of a citizen witness is not always sine qua non, which is a Latin term, to legitimate police action. Uh, indeed, it is one thing for a person giving the information to be anonymous, even to the police, and quite another for him, for him to be known to the police, but merely unidentified. Um, so really cool, interesting stuff to read when you're getting something like that. And the last portion is, um, here the clinic patient was known to Officer Fuentes in a meaningful way even though he did not have her name, the facts are more than sufficient to establish her as a citizen witness. As such, the information she supplied had in, in di- uh, I can't even, I can't say this word. Uh, it provided her reliability. Moreover, she did not, pro- um, she not only provided information describing the defendant, but she went outside with the officer and pointed him out. That information identification combined with the statements of the other two patients, the officer's prior knowledge of the methadone sales in the area, defendant's location and apparent nervousness, all combined provided probable cause to arrest the defendant for the attempted purchase of controlled dangerous substance. That probable cause justified the pat-down, which was a search incident to arrest, excuse me, and subsequent arrest of the defendant. So cool stuff, right? Somebody telling you something can provide probable cause for you to make an arrest, uh, an unnamed citizen informant in person, citizen informant telling you, you don't have to run back and get their name, even if they're not there when you're done. If you're documenting like, hey, somebody came to the car and said, hey, that dude just did this. He just assaulted that child over there. You don't have to stop. You're not obligated to start taking information down. You can go investigate, make the apprehension, come back. If that person's not there, that's okay. You had an inherent, you had a duty to, to act on those on those claims uh, or that, that report to you. You just can't ignore things like that. Um, certainly not in the wake that you may have lose the defendant or the suspect in a crime that has just been reported to you, especially something of uh, significant nature, uh, an indictable offense, right? State versus Basil. Here's one that comes out. Uh, Jersey City cops are on patrol. They get an anonymous call, 911 report of a man with a shotgun. All right. Part of the rival, Officer Rucco, I think it's how you say his name, Rocho, something like that, Italian, but I don't, I don't know how to say it. Um, they are approached by a young woman who told him that she was standing on the corner with a group of people when the defendant pointed a shotgun in her direction and said, get off the corner. She also stated she saw the defendant throw the shotgun underneath the black Cadillac. As the woman at Roku, she was thinking that she was shaking a little bit and her voice was elevated. Um, at this point, the defendant was detained by Officer Roko. That's the defendant, not the reporting witness. And they checked under the, under the Cadillac and they found the shotgun there. Um, they followed the young woman's statement and the discovery of the shotgun the defendant was placed in the back of a police car. The young woman told the officer that she lived in the area, but nothing else about herself. She said she didn't want to speak with the officer detectives because uh, beca- uh, or become involved in the case because she was scared for her safety. 
The officer did not get her name and address or telephone number. The young woman just left and walked away. All right. So he was arrested. It was all good. The citizen informant plus the corroboration of finding the gun. All these things provided enough validity to create probable cause to make the arrest for this guy. Uh, then he tries to challenge it. And here's what, the, here's what the court said. In this case, the appellate division addressed the distinguishment between an anonymous tipster. I'm sorry. I lost my page here. Let me go back. I lost my page Ah, here's the court said on this one. In determining whether there was probable cause to make an arrest, a court must look at the totality of the circumstances and view those circumstances from the standpoint of an objectively reasonable police officer. Generally speaking, information imparted by a citizen directly to a police officer will receive a greater weight than information received from an anonymous tipster. Therefore, an objectively reasonable police officer may assume that an ordinary citizen reporting a crime, which is the citizen reports to have observed, is providing reliable information. This was a face-to-face -face encounter that allowed the officer to make the on-spot credibility assessment of the citizen informant. Importantly, the young woman's reliability was immediately corroborated by the discovery of a shotgun in the precise location where she said it was discarded. That young woman would later refuse to give identifying data about herself uh, out of an express fear of her safety does little to diminish the reliability of information when it was given. Okay. Uh, so it's interesting. There's a very big distinction between an anonymous tip in like state versus, uh, I'm sorry, Florida VGL, which is a federal Supreme Court ruling where they get an anonymous tip that they have to corroborate and uh, the evidence and create some veracity and some validity to approaching somebody, Terry Frisson, that there was a report of a gun. Very, very different than having somebody approach a police officer and report a crime. That has reliability to it that may need some, depending on the circumstance, may need some veracity or some corroboration to, to confirm that it's true, but inherently much more valuable and holds a lot more weight in court than somebody who's calling 911 and doesn't give a name or a number. That should help you guys. I will give you more information. We'll go into fellow police officer rules, uh, citizen, uh, you know, citizen informants, criminal informants, anonymous tipsters, what you can do with anonymous tipsters, what you can't do with anonymous tipsters. And that's more to come. It's just a long video. I just can't drag it out and jam a lot of this stuff in your face the whole time. With that being said, if I can do anything for you, everybody knows you can reach out to me. A lot of guys do. Um, more than happy to help. We're getting a snowstorm here. Um, so I'm going to take my books home. I'm going to go live from the compound tomorrow. I'll see you guys later.